All right. The Fitness Retention Podcast would like to welcome Natalie Carey. Welcome, Natalie. Hello. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, it's Friday. No, it's not Friday. We can't say that on the podcast. Yeah, Should we can. start over? <laughs> We're recording on a Friday. We're recording on a Friday. It's and great. I might release it on a Friday. Who knows? Excellent. Um, so <laughs> as a way of introducing yourself to our audience, why don't you just tell people what you're working on right now, um, how you got to that point, kind of a little bit about your fitness journey, and um, yeah, what's good? Cool. I'm a body positive personal trainer, so that means I think that all bodies are good bodies. I want everybody to feel welcome and included when they walk into the fitness industry, um, which is pretty rare for a lot of people. A lot of people feel like when they come into the gym or into a personal training session that they have to be a certain way or look a certain way. And so I want more people to feel really welcome in our industry. Um, I grew up as a ballerina. And so hearing that message that you have to look a certain way in order to get success and get the roles that you want. That was a message that was really ingrained in me. And I'm trying to do work so that maybe more people hear a different message and realize that like, there's a different way to go in life. Yeah. Awesome. Um, when, when you say you're, you're a body positive personal trainer, how much of that is like branding yourself? versus, do you know what I mean? Like you, you want to dive into kind of like a niche, right? When you're yeah. a person, you know, there's so many of them out there. How did you kind of realize that was your message and how did you decide on it? I guess. That, I mean, that's a great question because I, when I got started in the fitness industry, I was doing what I had been told to do by my certifications and by the instruction that I had gotten from, from P90X. I love P90X. Yep. (laughs) I lived in Japan for a year and a half and I worked out to P90X in my tiny Japanese apartment and that's how I got into weightlifting. So when I, what? I said, nice. That's awesome. Have you ever, have you ever done P90X? I've done a couple of the workouts and I've been to Japan as well. So I know the small spaces. Where in Japan have you been to? Uh, I just went to Tokyo and that was for work a couple of years ago. Uh, you're very lucky. Tokyo is a very cool place. Yeah. So um, I'm, I don't know if you saw like an apartment while you were there, but they're yeah. very small. So that's what I was working out in for a year and a half. Wow. Um, and so when I started in the fitness industry, I was starting with like a lot of the messaging that we probably see on social media, um, like no pain, no gain, that kind of a mentality. Yeah. And I just, after, after a few years of doing that, I was just realizing it didn't really feel authentic to me. And I was trying to think back on like, well, who am I and where do I come from? And why do people come to work out with me? Like, why are they attracted to me? And so, um, I did a lot of soul searching and I realized that I just didn't really want to spread the message that you have to look a certain way anymore. And I really wanted to do what I said, like make people feel more welcome in the fitness industry. And yeah. just like, like, it could be a different experience for people. So how long have you been a trainer? Um, let me see. I, I have to count because I'm coming up on my anniversary. I think seven years, seven years this fall. Yeah. And where did you start? Where are you now? Talk to me about your journey. Yeah. I started at 24 hour fitness. 
because that's actually where I worked out when I was when I was a youngin mm -hmm. before I moved to Japan. I worked out at Twenty Four Hour Fitness. That's where I got my first training job, and now I am working at an independent gym in San Francisco called Diakati, and it's amazing and the best facility I could like possibly hope to work at. Yeah, I think I uh, so I I know the the owner Billy, and I've, yes. I've met Mike a couple times, but um, I did some research on Diakati, and I think it's seven or eight years in a row best either personal training or place to I forget the other title but it was best of San Francisco personal training seven years in a row so I, I think we actually hold the best in San Francisco for 13 years okay well yes well, and have well, you been, have <laughs> you, yeah we're we're fancy Alex have you been to the facilities yet I, I have yeah yeah okay uh there I mean it's killer it's Perfect. Yeah, we're very lucky to work there. Yeah. Um, and they're lucky to have you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, talk to me about your time going from corporate to now kind of running your own business out of an independent gym. Um, yeah. What, like, what exactly would you like to hear about? Um, when you were at 24-Hour uh, Fitness, what did you like? What didn't you like? How did you grow as an employee and as a trainer mm -hmm. and when did you decide to make the switch to running your own business okay um let me see if i can remember all of those so um i have a really good experience working at 24-hour fitness i feel like i um i got to like really learn the ropes and build a lot of confidence as a trainer mm -hmm. what i wish we had had more opportunity to do there was our continuing education mm -hmm. because it's so important it's it's really important that not just that you have the initial certification as a personal trainer or your initial degree in kinesiology or exercise science but um really like go out there and find what really seasoned people are doing and what they're talking about and exercise is a science that is constantly evolving yeah and if you're not learning about it you're falling behind, you're not doing your job, you're not providing the best service to your clients. So yeah. I really wish we had had more learning opportunities um, at the facilities that I worked at. Um, the reason that I decided to go independent though is because I, I wanted to take care of my clients the way I wanted to take care of them. Mm. And going independent was gonna allow me to take care of them and provide them the services that I wanted to um, that we're not a part of how 24 hour fitness runs their business. And yeah. yeah, it was just like, I think as soon as you start thinking like, yeah, I want to go independent, it's probably time to go independent. Yeah. 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 So when you talk about continuing education and um, when you, when you talk about that, how much of that is on you versus how much of that is on the company that you work for? I, I think a lot of it is as personal trainers, we have to take the initiative. Yeah. But when you're a new trainer, like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And something that I love about Diakati is that they bring in so many experts and so many opportunities for us to learn. Yeah. Um, and they also foster this environment where all of the trainers can constantly like learn from each other and talk to each other. And you don't feel like you're the stupid trainer for not having all of the answers. Yeah. Um, and so what I would have loved to have seen or what I would love to see from all big gyms is the, the management team bringing people in just so that trainers know that like they have the opportunity to learn about something that they're not familiar with. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really big opportunity in this space and actually like to reduce turnover in those big gyms because yeah, I mean, there's fitness turnovers high, no matter what size the gym, whether you're a small studio or a big studio, but to keep people there, you have to incentivize them to stay versus run their own business. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I think that that's a really big opportunity for not just them, but a lot of kind of like corporate gyms to keep people because a lot of really good people start there or started other, you know, big gyms because that's all they know. Um, So yeah, I agree. I think that's a big opportunity. Have you ever been into like a bigger fitness facility where you found the management team was supporting the continuing education of their staff? That's a good question. Um, And I don't know if you know kind of like what I did before this, but I took, um, yeah, yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit. I took, I took 50 gym tours. So I got like the sales experience Mm -hmm. at 50 gyms. Um, And I think that the training is a little bit antiquated to be totally Mm -hmm. honest. I think that the personal training or the sales training, the sales pitch. Uh Um, I think that, you know, because I didn't sign up at 50 gyms, I didn't get to see like their onboarding process and how they pitch personal training and how they pitch group exercise and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. I can't speak like confidently to that. Um, what I can say is that the sales process doesn't lead me to believe that people are getting the most like up to date training. Mm-hmm. Um, and that maybe the status quo is what's pushed rather than being out in front of kind of like the newest industry learnings and trends and stuff like that. But yeah, that's all I can say. Um, Some are more buttoned up than others. Um, But oftentimes it's like a really big club that is solo. So like, um, do you know studio mix? I do. Yeah. That place is sick. Um, And that's a pretty big gym. And you walk in there and you think like there must be 10 of these studio mixes around the country because it's so nice and it's so well run, but there's only one of them. So um, that's kind of like dancing around the question. Um, (laughs) Well, I I mean, but like you may not have, you may not have seen it when you were out looking at other gyms. And I was just curious if, if anybody was doing that yet. Not as much, but I don't think that it's necessarily size of the gym that is related to how well the people are trained and how much they're encouraged to like continue their education. I think it's more about the brand. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a great question. Um, so talk to me a little bit about what you're for in fitness, um, both as a trainer, like in terms of exercise and helping your clients, and then also just the industry in general. Um, okay. So what I'm for in fitness is recognizing that all bodies are different. Mm -hmm. Um, and most trainers, hopefully most trainers do some sort of an assessment when their clients first come to them so that they can see how their client moves, how their bodies respond to certain things. And like, I always look at our, my training sessions as sort of a puzzle and how do I solve the puzzle of getting somebody from how they move currently to progressing, to feeling more confident, to um, increasing range of motion. And so when somebody comes into me and maybe they have, I I get a lot of people with lower back, hip and knee pain. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. For some reason, I started attracting those clients when I was just like a baby trainer at 24 hour fitness and yeah. I continue to attract them. And I don't know why, but I love it because those are exercises that I'm great at doing. Mm -hmm. um, when they come into me with, with pain in their lower body, um, it doesn't mean that they can't necessarily do ex certain exercises or certain movements, but they've been told by other trainers or other instructors, well, if squats bother you, then just don't do squats. Uh -huh. And it doesn't mean that they can't do squats. It means, okay, how can we figure out a way that you can do squats? Because yeah. I think squatting is a great example. Like we squat every single day throughout our day. It's like the most basic human movement that we do. Yeah. Um, and so if it's something that causes you pain. Okay. Well, like how can we troubleshoot that so that you can do this motion? Um, so that's what I'm really for in fitness is take a look at your client's unique individual body and figure out how you can get them to where they want to be, even if it's not the way that you would have gotten there yourself or another client would have gotten there. Like, mm -hmm. be creative. Okay, so kind of creativity and taking each person that comes to you as completely unique. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're all we're all unique snowflakes. Indeed. <laughs> um, okay, so what are you against in fitness? I'm against this this culture that we have in our fitness industry is that everything is black and white. That there is one right answer to everything. Mm -hmm. I think if you um, if you look at your verbiage and your certifications, um, well, not all certifications. I'm generalizing, but maybe the ones that that I started off with. Um, or if you go into social media or if you go into fitness blogs, everybody is saying there's one right answer and this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And you know, we used to think, we used to think that the world is flat and yeah. that was the one right answer. And so I would like for the fitness industry to be a little bit more open-minded that there's not one right answer for everything because like I said, we're all unique snowflakes yeah. and everybody's body is different. Um, and so if you say, you know, it's incorrect to do an exercise this way, you can only do it this one way. Well, what if the other way that you think is wrong works for somebody's body and it feels good for them and it's helping them to get stronger? Mm -hmm. It's not wrong anymore. Um, so yeah, I would really love to see a little bit more open-mindedness in the fitness industry of just understanding that just because something was what you were taught, it doesn't mean it's the only answer. There's a lot of right answers. Yeah. Yeah. I dig that. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so, you know, the focus of this podcast is retention. Yes. What, is so retention, <laughs> what does retention mean to your business? I didn't really think about this question because I was like, well, retention means you're retaining your clients, that you're retaining your income. Um, but I was thinking about it more because it's a really good question. And I think it's delivering value that improves people's lives. And because personal training, it doesn't always last the same amount of time. I've had clients for six years. Mm -hmm. I've had clients for six weeks. And it doesn't mean that I didn't deliver value mm -hmm. evenly to those people. Um, for instance, I had a, a woman come in with a broken leg a few years back. And mm -hmm. she told me at the beginning, I'm only planning on training with you for six weeks, but I don't know how to work out with a broken leg. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? Um, and so f for me, that retention factor was, 
delivering her value that improved her quality of life over those six weeks. Mm -hmm. And that woman still refers to me. She still has like a friendly relationship with me. We still interact on social media. And that to me, that's retention. I gave her value that she was looking for. And so she's continued to speak highly of me. And that's, I I feel like that's retention as well. And I would assume that she probably has never been to another trainer after seeing you. Oh, I don't know. I don't, (laughs) I don't ask people because that's almost like, well, are you dating anybody else? Like, (laughs) I don't ask people if they're seeing a new trainer. Yeah. Well, what I was getting at was like when someone exits a, um, either like a trainer or a gym relationship, if you leave them off better than you found them, they're much more likely to come back to you. Yeah, I've had a lot of clients who have actually come back to me over the years. Mm-hmm. You, you know, we're adults. Life happens. Sometimes people move or relationships change or income status changes. And so just because somebody stops training with me, it doesn't mean that I haven't given them a good experience. A lot of my clients end up coming back to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes into retention as well, that, that they, they want to come back for more of the experience that we have together. Yeah, so I'm... I'm really interested in this, like a lot of what I, I look at is like, how do you scale these kind of things? Mm-hmm. So when a client says like, Hey, I can't train with you anymore. I can't afford it. Whatever the reason is I'm moving. Do you, how, how do you handle that relationship once you know that it's going to end? Because this is a big thing in gyms is like, they make it hard to leave. You need to like prove that you're moving or sign a 12 month contract or whatever these things are. How do you, how do you handle that yourself? I, first off, I try and ask them if there's anything that we could have done differently in their sessions that mm-hmm. would have made them want to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any service that I didn't provide that they were wanting or was the session not up to their standards? Is there anything that I could have done to improve their, uh, their experience with me? Mm-hmm. Um, usually the answer is, no, it's like very much like they're moving or they lost their job or whatever's happening is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I usually ask them. If I know that somebody's leaving, I still try and give them a great experience because I don't want them to leave with a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah. Right? I want us to continue the good relationship that we have. Um, and I also try to find out if there's any resources that I can give to them. Like if, if they're going to be moving across the country, I'll try and think of, okay, well, do I know anybody in that area that I could refer to? Or is there an online training program I could send you to? Or, um, yeah, I just try and think of like, what are resources that I could find for you so that when you leave me, you still feel like you're being taken care of. So I think that's excellent. Um, but I want to touch on something that you mentioned kind of like casually is most of the time people say, no, nothing different. But what are some of the examples when someone said like, maybe, yeah, you could have done this differently or you could have done this differently. And how did you learn from that and implement those learnings into what you're doing now? Mm, it's funny. It's, it's the people that I know were not happy with their sessions. They're the ones who don't say it. Um, they're the ones that just like stop coming to their sessions or they stop answering emails and phone calls. And then I try and think, well, okay, if they're not going to respond to me, because confrontation is hard for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I try and think like, all right, well, where did we, where did we sort of like miss, miss our, um, our connection? 
Um, and a lot of times I think it starts with when they first started training with me, maybe I wasn't clear with them about what the training process would look like, or I didn't clearly understand what their expectations or goals were. Mm -hmm. And so instead of trying to like hound them for feedback, I try to look forward and say, okay, well, how can I be better at clarifying what I offer as a trainer when people first come to me? Mm -hmm. And I think that, I mean, ultimately I'm trying to work back to like the beginning of the relationship because yeah. I think that that's where anything in fitness is. If you, if you don't have a good ground, like baseline established, if your foundation isn't good, the relationship isn't going to last a long time. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering, like, you're a, you're a pro trainer. Like, you probably know how to sell someone. You probably know how to, like, onboard them to your PT style. But what was that learning process like? Like, how did you figure out your groove and replicate it? Um, well, first off, something that I've gotten a lot better over the years at is I market to my target audience. Mm -hmm. And when you're starting off as a personal trainer, you might not know who you're going to be working with yeah. or who you want to work with or who you're going to attract. And so that's going to be a hard piece of advice to hear for a, a newbie trainer because mm -hmm. it, it might not be a, as applicable to them. But if you've been in the industry for a couple of years, you can start to figure out what's your niche, mm -hmm. who, who do you really want to be training? Who do you want to be attracting to your business? And so that's how I started. I make sure that everything that I'm putting out in my advertising and my marketing and my website and my social media is all attracting the client that I want to work with mm -hmm. because they're the person that I can offer the most value to. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to be a figure competitor, I don't have a lot of value to offer to you, yeah. but if you want to feel better about your body and feel more confident. Yes. I can definitely provide you with value. Yeah. Um, so I, I started there and then please repeat the question for me. <laughs> um, let me think back if I can answer it. How, like how did, it's kind of around like the initial relationship building and sales process. How did you get your groove with that? Um, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's just, it's making sure that when somebody comes into me or they call me that we have a conversation about what their expectations are and what in their mind does a personal training session look like. Mm -hmm. And if I'm getting the sense during my first interaction with them that they want something totally different than what I can provide, I'm going to tell them, I don't think that I'm the trainer for them. Mm -hmm. um, and that I want them to get the service that they really want. And I want what's best for them and what's going to make them happy. Mm -hmm. And maybe check out these other trainers or check out these other gyms. Um, Diacati is really amazing because we have a referral program there. And so I can literally go to one of our staff members and be like, this person needs this, this, and this. Do we have someone on staff who can do that? Yeah. Um, and so I can refer them to somebody else who will be a way better resource for them. Yeah. Um, and, and that's also, that ties into the retention because when they're coming in, they're already somebody that, I'm pretty sure wants to work with me because of what I do. Mm -hmm. And then I weed them out a little bit more during that consultation process because I want to set us both up for success. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if they're saying they want something different that I know I can't provide, then I'm not the person for them and, and I'm not going to make them happy. So I want them to be happy. Yeah. I think that that's a mistake that I for sure made as a, as a new trainer. I was like, I'll yes. train anyone. 
Yes. I'll train anyway. And now, like, that's just not the case because I don't train certain people as effectively, and I'm sure you don't either. And, like, I don't want to spend time with people that I know I'm not going to do as good a job at or be passionate about. Yeah. But I think the same actually goes for businesses. And, like, you've worked at, um, like, a, a corporate big gym. I think sometimes they don't pre-qualify people. They just try to say like, Hey, we're whatever you want to do. We're going to be able to do it for you. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes the cost of acquiring a new client doesn't justify them staying for a month or two. Yeah. And I know it's a little bit different in personal training. um, But I just think that there's a lot of messages that like bigger gyms can scale when they learn from people like you who've been really successful at creating, like you basically get the clients that you want. Yeah. And it's hard to do that as a newbie trainer or as a new business. Like you always have to figure out, you always have to figure out as a new business who you are and who's interested in working with you. Um, but yeah, the sooner that you can say, these are the people that I am great at working with and these are the people I'm not great at working with, it makes it so much easier because those people who come into me for a couple of weeks, like let's say when I was a newbie trainer who came into me for a couple of weeks and I could tell weren't happy with the sessions, yeah, I might have missed out on working with the perfect client because that imperfect client for me took up the time slot of the perfect client. And so it's I don't see it as like losing money in business. Yeah. I see it as you being like really clear on these are my goals. This is the kind of business that I want to run. And mm-hmm. I need to make sure I have space to work with those perfect clients. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. What do um, you think for like for newbie trainers or newbie businesses? Do you feel like there's a certain time frame um, that you should define your niche within? Well, I think you got to learn obviously what your niche is. Um, but I would say, however you generally like to train yourself Mm. is a good starting spot. That's true. So, So like I used to be into kind of like bodybuilding or physique. I wasn't like, you know, taking roids and being like super aggressive with it or anything, but that's kind of like, I wanted it to be aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. And then I got into CrossFit. So I coached CrossFitters and then I got into functional movements and like powerlifting. So I did more stuff in that realm. So I was always more passionate about training people kind of that could accomplish those things. So like if you're into CrossFit, but you have no mobility, it's going to be really tough for me to work with you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so kind of following what you enjoy doing and then finding the people that enjoy doing that and kind of like speak the same language, so to speak. Yeah, that's a good guideline for people. Yeah. Like if, if, if you, I, I think of the example, um, I forget who it was, but it was, shoot. Anyway, I was reading in a book recently that this resort owner said like, we want to be like the four seasons, but it, I don't know. It was like Marriott or something. Okay. And they had a consultant come in and say like, how many of the people working at this Marriott have ever been to the four seasons? and no one raised their hand, like the executives raised their hand. And it's like, so how do you expect these people to deliver the Mm -hmm. service to your guests if they've never experienced it? So like, if I've never 
trained an older person or been into that kind of thing, like a, you know, 75 year old plus, I don't know how I'm going to train them. I don't know how I'm going to actually deliver value to them. So like, I think training people in the style that you train is important. Yeah. That's good. Um, and obviously you can get really specific with specialties and stuff, but I think that's a good starting spot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so what's something that every gym can do starting tomorrow to make more money? I think instilling a sense of pride in your employees. Okay, and what have people done to you? Like how have people instilled that sense of pride in you? And what effect has that had on your relationship with that gym? And like... Yeah, I think... I think again, Diacati is an amazing example. They really obviously invest in their staff and they like the staff that works our front desk and that runs all the stuff behind the scenes. And they also really invest in their trainers mm-hmm. and they make sure that we have a great, clean facility to work in. If mm-hmm. something's broken, they fix it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always trying to get the best technology that's available for us. And I, I think that it's so easy when you're running a business to forget about the experience of your staff yeah. and to make sure that they feel valued as well. Mm-hmm. Because if your staff doesn't feel valued, then they're not going to take pride in your facility or your business. Mm-hmm. And that's going to come across to your clients. So how do people that run fitness businesses stay on top of empowering their staff and making them feel valued? Um, again, I think adding value to their experience, like through the continuing education, um, taking good care of your staff, like going out of your way to do something that shows them that they're important to you. Um, so something I try to do with my clients is based on my love of Walt Disney and Disneyland is that Disneyland is an experience. You're not just going to an amusement park. Like you walk in and every single thing is an experience. Mm-hmm. Waiting in line is part of the journey of being at Disneyland. Yeah. And so I, my clients don't just come in and do our workout and that's it. Yeah. I try and find a lot of different other ways to make their experience with me like, like a journey. Um, and so if a gym or a business can do that for their staff and their clients, I think it would make a huge, huge difference in their income. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of times as trainers, people either assume that, or in, in any fitness, like customer service, whatever. I think that people, when they come into the job, think that there's a lot of room for growth, but oftentimes management doesn't know how that person specifically wants to grow. Mm. Um, Like if someone from customer service wants to move into being a trainer or if someone who's a trainer wants to go to being a manager or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, So I'm wondering if you have any specific examples of that, how like, you know, how do people that run these businesses level set with you to understand where they can give you value basically? I'm the kind of person who, so I don't know if you have ever read uh, the five languages, but mm. okay. So it's uh, by this psychologist who believes that every human being communicates in five different love languages. And yeah. um, the one that I communicate with is words of affirmation. 
-hmm. I need to be told that I'm doing a good job um, or that that's how I receive love. And other people receive love through um, acts of service, quality time together, um, gifts, and uh, a physical touch. Okay. And so um, I, I think if management were to discover what the love language is or even the personality type of the mm -hmm. people that they're managing, you could show them appreciation in the way that they best receive it. Hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So anytime I'm working with somebody, um, like I work, I'm working with a startup company right now. And then, um, anytime that I talk with the owners of my gym, um, once in a while I remind them that, I really benefit from words of affirmation. I need to know that I'm doing a good job. I need to get feedback. Um, I need to know like specifically what I've been successful on mm -hmm. um, because that's how I know that I'm appreciated and that's what makes me want to stay around. Awesome. Well, well, two points. Number one, I think you're doing a great job of answering the questions on this podcast. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and number two. They're great questions. <laughs> thanks. Uh, Number two, you mentioned a startup. What, what What's that? Yeah, it's a startup called Tonal. Uh -huh. um, we just launched about a month ago. We just went public. We've been in stealth mode for the last two years. Okay. Um, and I am one of eight coaches that's been working with this amazingly incredible um, engineering team to uh -huh. create what we're calling the world's most intelligent fitness system. Okay. And so it is a piece of fitness equipment. Um, that has a bunch of artificial intelligence built into it. Um, it's about strength training. It takes up a very small amount of space in your living room or your house, um, and it's designed to replace an entire gym. Hmm. Um, what, I mean, is it, so when I think of like an entire gym and a piece of equipment, I think of like a kind of like a pulley system or yes. something like that. Is so, that? Yes, so we're using, um, we're using a cable system that's operated with um, electromagnetic technology. Oh my gosh, I'm not an engineer. Okay. <laughs> All I know is that it's like very impressive and I am not smart enough to have created it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty amazing. You can do so many exercises on it and we, we created it so that people who maybe can't make it to the gym can have personal training expertise in their hmm. home. That there's such a huge movement towards AI personal training and AI fitness. Um, how, I mean, does that play in a gym like Diacati or maybe a small studio? Like how do you incorporate a, a piece of equipment like that into an actual gym? Yeah. So they're talking about getting one at Diacati. And I think because it has a couple of functions that are really helpful to people. So it tests your baseline. So we as trainers, like you kind of have to work up to doing, um, a, a one rep max Yeah. or, um, you, you know, you figure out as you go along, okay, this is what this person's capable of lifting. And so mm -hmm. tonal actually has a way of testing somebody's baseline in, I think it's uh, five or six exercises. Hmm. And then it just calculates for every single workout you do. Okay. This is what you tested at. This is the weight that you should be lifting at for hmm. every single workout, no matter mm -hmm. the rep or the set or uh, like what training phase you're in. Mm -hmm. And then the other um, really cool thing that I love about it is the handles are built so that you can deload your weight with just a click of your thumbs. So like, let's say you're, you're doing like a chest press. Yeah. So you're on the bench, you have to haul your dumbbells up to yeah. your shoulders. Um, it's sort of hard without a spotter sometimes. 
with tonal, you have your bench, you grab the handles, you can click to make sure that the weight is turned to zero. Yeah. You set up for your bench press, you click them back on, and all of a sudden that weight's engaged. And, and then can you do like a drop set with that as well? So like 12 reps at 60 pounds and then click it down 12 reps at 50 pounds, or is it just um, yes. so we like have a maximum load versus no load? Yeah, we have, um, we have systems in place that we, we call it a spotter. And uh -huh. so the trainer, the tonal trainer can actually sense if you're struggling um, or if you need less weight and it will drop the weight automatically for you. I literally had an idea for, it was only a bench press, but when I was like 18, that could max you out on every rep. So you could do a set of 10, but like the first rep was max weight. Then second rep was max weight. So it just like gradually decreased, but looks like I got beat to it. Okay, you've got to come by the showroom and test it out. You'll love cool. it. I would love yeah. to. We'll, we'll talk cool. more about it offline. Um, okay. <laughs> so what's something that every fitness business can do to save time? Save time. Hmm. I had an answer for this, and now I forgot it because we've been having such a great conversation. <laughs> you want to come back to it? Uh, yeah, let's come back to it. Okay. Um, what is a book that you've read recently that had a big impact on you? You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Um, oh, yeah. I love I, Jen Sincero. I love Jen Sincero. She's so great. Like, she's just so sassy and funny and mm -hmm. sort of, like, edgy. Um, yeah, I just love her outlook on life. And she's just got a lot of really great ways of looking at stuff. She's very down to earth. I read You Are a Badass, and I feel like, Yes, I'm going to be the best person I can possibly be today because of the words that I just read. She's fantastic. And then I also have read her follow-up, which is You Are a Badass at Making Money. Yeah. Which really dives into how a lot of people have this like weird internal relationship with money that's very toxic. Yeah. And that's the reason that they can't make money. And so she delves into like, okay, how can you improve your relationship with money so that you can be more successful? Yeah, I... um. I read the second one. I haven't read the first mm. one. Um, super good. I thought yeah. it was really interesting. Like you write a letter to money. Yeah. And talk about how your relationship with it has changed or what, how it is like through your life. I just think it's really interesting to like analyze something in our society that plays such a huge role in our day. Like we work for money. If you have a toxic relationship with it, you're going to set barriers on how much of it you can make. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, super interesting. Cool. Okay, what about another one? What's another book? Uh, another book. Oh, we've read so many books this year. Uh, let's see. Um, I just reread The Phantom Tollbooth, actually, hmm. which is a child's book. Have you ever read it? No, I haven't. Okay, The Phantom Tollbooth is this, it's a child's book that I read when I was in elementary school. It's all about wordplay. Um, and it's just, it's very clever, it's very creative, and it's one of those books that, books that really stands the test of time. Like, you read it when you're a kid, and you're like, oh, this is awesome, and then you reread it as an adult, and you're like, this is really awesome. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, I just love things that um, try and look at situations in a different way, um, that they don't have to be the way that you originally thought they were. Mm -hmm. something that Jen Sincero talks about is that like we tell ourselves these stories and they become our truths. And so I love it when somebody gets really creative and looks at things in a different way. Hmm. What's a book that you've read recently that you liked? 
Um, I, I, I've read this book recently called never lose a customer again. Um, oh, okay. it's super interesting. And a lot of it, you know, it's perfect for what I do. And perfect for what you're doing. And, yeah. Um, but it just takes you through how to like analyze a, a customer journey, which is I think something that not a lot of businesses actually, a lot of businesses talk about, but don't actually sit down and do mm. like customer journey mapping and your opportunity to improve or, um, worsen your relationship with whoever your customers are at every touch point. Hmm. Um, and I think that's super interesting. Um, and then I also read Aesop's fables every night before I go to bed. So that's, that's the one that's like the constant. So that's a cool. I guess you've probably reread it a lot then. Um, yeah, I'm on like my fifth or sixth time through it right okay. now. Yeah. My fiance is probably like, put it down. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's a staple for me. Um, it's a good book. Just keep rereading it. A, a book is a gift that keeps giving. I read one time on a bookmark, so. <laughs> I read once in a book that I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I read once in a book that I forgot. <laughs> um, okay, so rapid fire here. Um, there are three things in your gym bag. You're fully dressed. You've got music. What are they? Um, okay, the three things in my gym bag. So I'm a pole dancer, so I want pole dancing shorts, okay. which are very short booty shorts. I want okay. my pole dancing grip so that I can grip the pole. And I want a water bottle because I drink a lot of water. Okay. That was easy. That was fast. Those are the three things I need. Boom. Boom. Um, love to win or hate to lose? Oh, I hate to lose. Okay. I hate cool. to lose. Yes. Uh, <laughs> one time I was playing shuffleboard at a bar with one of my best friends and these two guys come up to us and they're flirting with us and they're like, Oh, let us play shuffleboard with you. And we're like, okay. And we play a match with them. And, and afterwards they were both kind of staring at me with like terror in their eyes. And, and they were like, wow, you're really competitive. And I was like, I'm not competitive. I just like winning. <laughs> so then you love to win. I do. <laughs> but do you hate to lose more? Oh gosh, well now you got me. That's the question. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll have to come back to that. That's a good question. Okay. That is rapid fire. You surprised me with that one. That one's not fair. <laughs> um, all right, so we're gonna wrap in a couple minutes here. Do you have an okay. answer for the save time question? Yeah, um, figure okay. out who your target audience is as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. It's gonna save you so much time in trying to market to everybody. Um, as well as it's going to save you time in losing clients because they weren't the right match for you. And what's an easy way for people to start to do that? Start to learn their target market, target audience. Yeah. Um, take a look at your current clients and figure out what are some commonalities between them? What are, what are the reasons that they're attracted to you? Mm -hmm. Um, what are the services that you're providing to them that is the reason that they keep coming to you? Mm -hmm. And how can you really play up on those strengths? Um, yeah, do some analytics. Figure out what, what's going on in people's minds that is the reason that they're coming to you. And do you talk to your clients about that? Like, do you ask them, why do you keep coming to me? Um, you know, I don't ask them that. I, I should ask them. I wonder what their responses would be. Um, I don't necessarily ask them that question. I will ask them um, if there's anything 
I'll, I'll do check-ins with them. Is there something that you want more of or less of in our sessions? Um, is there something that you need my support on outside of the gym? Mm -hmm. um, I also do a lot of like online research on the clients that I do want to attract mm -hmm. um, that some people say is like, borderline creepy, but I just think it's analytics. So yeah, I do a lot of research on people too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think research is really interesting and, um, it's stuff that I wouldn't have ever thought of on my own. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Um, how can people find you? What's, uh, what are, what would you like to push people towards when they look up Natalie? Yeah. The easiest way to find me is, um, barbellblonte.com. That's my website. There's a bunch of resources on there because like I said, I love to offer value to people. So if you're on there, you're probably going to find something that can add value to your day. Mm -hmm. um, right now, something that I've got up there that's helping a bunch of people is I have a 30 day body image makeover and it's 30 habits that you can start to implement to build your confidence, feel better about yourself um, that are not focused on your appearance. So is it more of like a, a mental thing? Definitely. Cool. Yeah. Um, what's, what's one tip? Um, one tip is um, unfollowing accounts that make you feel bad about yourself. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. A lot of people ask me how to build more confidence and I tell them, well, you have to surround yourself with confidence. Mm -hmm. So if you're going through your social media feed and it's a bunch of stuff that makes you feel bad about yourself, that's not going to build your confidence. Hmm. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> it is nice. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is really excellent. Yeah, you've been a, a great guest. Oh, thank you so much. You've been a wonderful host. Oh, thank you. Um, so um, any parting words you want to leave the audience with? Um, ooh, uh, if, if you're not succeeding, just keep embracing uh, failure and just keep learning from it and just keep trying again and again, pick yourself back up. Nobody who is successful hasn't failed. So just keep looking at it as an opportunity to learn. Awesome. Great. Well, um, you and I will talk soon. And cool. once again, thank you for coming on the Fitness Retention Podcast. All right. Online high five. Thank All you. Right. Natalie Carey, everyone. <laughs> Bye.